2: through the matrix. It is October the 1st, 2007. For newcomers, look into my site, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And for those who want transcripts from the different countries of Europe, you can find them at sentinel.eu We're going full steam ahead into this whole NAFTA, North American Amalgamation And we're seeing big exercises coming up, which are all really part of the whole deal. Because if you read Jack Satali's book, Millennium, a man who definitely knew the plans for North America since he was one of the planners for the European integration and who now works at the United Nations in his book, Millennium, he gives you the scenario for the integration process of the Americas. And he wrote the book about 1990, He said that the borders would gradually come down over a period of time and there'd be massive influxes of Latin Americans from different uh, countries coming through looking for the streets paved with gold and wanting their share. But he did say that it would be preceded eventually with big gangs of people. The, The criminal type would come up and cause mayhem for a generation or two in the southern states. And he, he likened that to the attacks on Rome, the Goths and the Visigoths and all them different Goths and stuff. So, in other words, they know there's going to be a bit of mayhem there. And so what if a couple of generations of American citizens have a bit of chaos going on in their lives? It's nothing to the big boys. It's just as Mr. Rockefeller said in one of his speeches, he said, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. And that's all we are to these characters They call it historical necessity, a term used by the Soviets. And the reason that we are now using all the Sovietized terms is because the Soviet was the testbed for all the psychological experimentation on mass population control, which is now being used here. In fact, all the the different NGO groups, uh, which supposedly speak on your behalf and demand laws and, and so on to be introduced, all came from the Soviet Union. That's how they worked it there. We're seeing the exact same system here where you have committees for streets, committees for your little local area of generally the well-to-do, who decide what color to paint your house and when to paint it and all the rest of it, what you can have in your front yard and what you can't have in your front yard. In other words, uniformity is the name of the game. And the Soviet system is well and truly here. It's just they don't call it communism They call it communitarianism, a term first mentioned to the public by George Bush, Sr., the ex-head of the CIA who became president, which should be no surprise to anyone since they've been running the U.S. for an awful long time. The bottom line is the citizen has no say in long-term planning, and we never had any say in fact. We've been kept in the dark like mushrooms, kept in the dark and fed you-know-what And speaking of you know what, I'll be back after the following messages. authorized various foundations to begin this whole process of world integration. And they, they started this a long time ago. But in the, the end of the 1800s, towards the latter part of it, they formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which was a Masonic group, as all the, the, the British systems happen to be. They're all Masonic. Peter Wright's Spycatcher. he mentions that every member of MI5 and six had to be a mason. He was the only exception because of special expertise in electronics. But anyway, they found uh, Cecil Rhodes. He was off to gather the wealth of Africa and uh, basically steal it and plunder it. And they said other ones across the world, but they also wanted to start the, the process for an integrated Africa, the same as they'd done with India. India, I remember, was a whole bunch of small countries and caliphates at one time and Rajas, they had to integrate it, so they they did it through very very clever means, eventually sending one of their own back to India, who became a hero and helped amalgamate the country for this world system. And the same thing happened in Africa, but for the Far East, for Australia and New Zealand and other countries, they set up the Institute for Pacific Relations, and that was part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the CFR. Their job was to set up societies within Japan and China as early, in fact, as the 1930s and to work towards eventual integration. They even knew back in the 1930s at the Royal Institute of International Affairs that China would be set up eventually to be the manufacturer for the planet. And that took many years to to bring about of legalities and various treaties being signed and with thousands of bureaucrats from different countries being involved, generation after generation, to make it so. But we're, we're here, it's happened, and now they're going for the final goal, which is the integration of the Americas and the Pacific Rim region. They have the, the capitals already set out as to where they're going to be. They said that they would choose Montreal for Canada, and they would pick one place in China for the Far East. There's also another one to get put up. In Africa, a temporary one once the complete unification comes through. And this was all born, remember, in Britain as far back as the 16th century, with John Dee mentioning it and Francis Bacon and others writing about it. And then, of course, it came into full-blown publication by the time of the late 1800s came around when Britain ruled the waves and the sun never set on the British Empire, except when they're spraying the skies. Now we have Rick from California on the line. Are you there, Rick? Hi,
0: Hello, Alan. Rick. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I wanted to tell you and the listeners about something that I found. Um, have you, has anyone, have you heard of Sovereign Deed, a PMC, a private military corporation?
2: I have heard of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're setting up in America, and they say I went to their website. It says, are you concerned about today's headlines? And if you join our services, become a member, you can. Um, have protection, and and to me that's really scary because that's uh... you know they've been doing that in Africa in the Middle East like Blackwater and all these companies and now they're coming to America that shows that that something's coming down the pike really big like you were talking about
2: yeah it's coming down the pike and remember that these private companies don't swear any allegiance to serve the people of, of any nation they, they in fact they don't even go by the Geneva Convention that's a nice way to get around all the rules. So it is coming, there's no doubt about it, and it's to tie in with the privatisation of the prison system, because under this new system, everyone must be totally efficient, including the prisoners. And uh, we already see that in China, where a good part of the big factories there are run by prisoners, and they manufacture. But yeah, a private army is a scary, scary thing. We had, we well, really all we're doing really is doing what Carol Quigley, Professor Carol Quigley, mentioned when he said that the new system would be a type of feudal system with corporate overlords. The CEOs will be the overlords of the new system, and they will dictate to the governments as to what policies should be. And in the feudal system, remember, most of the, the armies were in actual private hands. They belonged to different kings or, or, or barons or, or, and so on down the line.
3: Mm. And
2: uh, I think even the Lovets in Scotland still have their own little private army. They have some sort of escape law. Of their Masonic connections, but, um, but yeah, a private army does not go by the Geneva Conventions, and so they're exempt from from any rules and regulations to do with torture or anything else.
0: Yeah, I have a question to ask about a book um, I, I discovered. It's called Scientific Christianity by Gerald Layton or Layton L e i g h t o n. Do you know anything about it?
2: Not that one. Now, what's that one about?
0: It's, um, it starts off talking about how science can become, you know, part of Christianity, how it can meld with it, and then I skipped ahead, and it was talking about eugenics and, and about behavior, and about, this is written in 1911.
2: Oh, okay, talking, okay, there's a whole plethora of those books published at that time, uh, mainly from New York, because that, that time was the head, of the, that's where the Eugenic Society was based, and it had one in London, and the whole idea was to churn out books, as always, books are meant to turn your head, literally, they're meant to give you your ideas, which you think are your ideas. And it was all to do with eugenics. And in Britain, they started it with a theosophy, in fact. And they backed that by the British crown. They gave it a charter to exist as a Masonic organization. And the idea was to blend Christianity with the ideas of Hinduism, which is really based on eugenics. And then for the West, especially for the Americas, they would blend, blend eugenics with Christianity and try and find quotes in the Bible to back it up.
0: Yeah, I could send you uh, photocopies of or I can send you the book when I'm finished if
2: you'd like it. Sure, I'd appreciate that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um yeah, it's a pretty interesting book and um so that's, that's all I wanted to share, Alan. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks for calling. And uh, Jackie they've... from New York, are you there? Jackie? Hello? Ooh.
4: Hello. Ooh. Hello, how are you? Good. How are you tonight? Not so bad. Um the reason I was calling is I just started waking up to everything that's going on in the world, probably the last year, year and a half, where I started to pay attention to what to what is going on. And one thing I noticed, started reading about, was the, the chemtrails and the spraying. And just today, I'm in New York City, and it was probably the worst spraying I've seen in about a year. And now, since I've only been paying attention to looking at the sky for the past year and a half, I don't know when this spraying really began. And I've read on the internet, you know, somewhere around 1997. And if, if this is so, when these large contrails started to be evident, why aren't there more pilots who who started piloting when they were, you know, 1990s, see the stark difference, and why aren't they speaking out against this?
2: Yeah, I, I know that uh, I know some pilots myself, uh, and they've told me that they recognize that they do see it. But there's, they've been told that there's, there's nowhere to report this to. When they report it, it's just fluffed off. We know, too, that the weathermen at the different uh, television stations have all been changed over the last few years because uh, they were also noticing it. They were trained in, in various um, weather techniques and they've been replaced with people who will not mention it at all. You're right, it started in 1997 uh, and a big scale, that is. They tried it before. Occasionally here and there testing stuff out since the 1950s, but it's been full time since about 1997, 1998. And sure enough, this week has this past week has been the worst. I've had calls from Vancouver all the way to New Brunswick and um, Nova Scotia Uh, talking about the spraying all the way down through the states. It's been very, very, very heavy indeed. And I do know they're testing different substances on the public. And remember. This ties in not only with weather manipulation and the scalar weaponry technology which they have. They can lull you to sleep or, or tranquilize you just with that uh, technology combined. But I, I think they're also adding some kind of tranquilizer to it since I New Brzezinski, uh, after 9-11, did uh, mention on the... the actually, it was, it was Donald Rumsfeld mentioned that in case of another major crisis in a big city in the U.S., they were ready to spray the entire cities with a form of aerosolized Valium, which would re- a- affect the people very quickly and keep them calm, to be followed by Prozac, which takes uh, a few days to a week to build up in the bloodstream. And I, I really do personally believe they're using something, because when the spraying is very, very heavy, I get reports from people from all over the country being very, very tired.
4: And that document that you said that Donald Rumsfeld wrote, it, can you direct me where I can can find that, or is it on any website? That was
2: shown on Canadian television, I think it was Global Television, uh, the, the, the day after 9/11, and uh, he was it was, a, it was a television program, just a little a little part of interview during the news segment, and I don't know if they even showed it in the U.S. because we are shown a lot of stuff which they they excise out of what they show you.
4: Yeah, I understand. I just want to try to verify everything that I can so when I try to wake people up to what's going on, I really have my my story straight and uh, solid. So I guess I'll try to check out YouTube or Google. If anyone listening has a copy of that video, if you could post it online so I can find it, that would be great.
2: (laughs) And you can also check in to Teller. Teller was a scientist who came up with this idea of spraying the atmosphere and using the scalar weaponry along with it, he was the father of the H-bomb. And so check into his history, because he goes through that whole process of how to chemicalize the atmosphere and use it as a weapon against the people. You'll find lots of information on him.
4: Okay, thank you so much.
2: It's a pleasure. And that's where we are, folks. We're just big guinea pigs in a long-term plan, a big long-term agenda. And if you see it from the least point of view, It really does make a lot of sense. Use all the equipment you have in your arsenal as you bring the people through the greatest changes they've ever seen in history. I'll be back after the following messages.
1: Everybody knows that the days are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody Fix the poor
2: stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Hi, Alan walked back with cutting through the matrix and piecing it all together, which is quite the thing. Once you get into it, though, you'll find that everything follows everything else you've read before. It's a sequence, it's all a sequencing and to do with think tanks, foundations, all networking together over generations. Now remember, we think in short-term planning, our lives are fairly short. We want to see things finished in our lifetime. That's why often things don't make much sense to us when we see this long, long long-term agenda, knowing that those involved and the generations of those that planned this and worked towards it would never see the finish of it in their lifetime. That isn't quite natural to us, but that's how they work, because a foundation will last longer than one generation. It'll last many generations, and they have their their mandates there. Every intake gets taught those mandates, and they work their whole lives towards it. Reading the books, if you can get a hold of them from the Council on Foreign Relations or the Royal Institute for International Affairs, same body, two countries, you'll find that they planned everything long ago. They discussed everything I'm talking about now, back at least in the 1930s. I have the books from, from those years. They knew there was a World War II coming up, which they actually needed to bring the world to its knees to get the United Nations set up. And they also thought and hoped that at the end of World War II, everyone would be on their knees, every country would be exhausted, and they would accept global government then. And many books were published in the 19. 19- 1940s on this topic of integration, but they started to get resistance again, mainly from the United States and some from Britain, and so they realized that it would take another 50 years or so to work slowly towards the globalization, and they would have to do a big job on the minds of the public, starting with bringing in immigrants from really vastly different country, countries and cultures. That was the start of it. And through one or two generations, everyone would accept the multiculturalism, which really is okay, it's fine, I don't care about it at all. And it doesn't bother me because I treat people as individuals. I don't have to like a particular people or a race. I go by individuals and that's how I've always been. And that's how everyone should actually be. If we did that, it'd be a lot uh, easier to get on in our own lives with people. But groups are scary and groups that bond together are scarier still. I always say if the mob is coming, go the opposite direction, never follow them, because the mob is just a mass mind, and even belonging to a group or a particular culture, uh, especially when it's led by elite at the top, um, will lead you to your own doom eventually. That's how you predict people. It's much easier to get people in huge, large groups and give them a mandate which they'll follow blindly than to to target individuals who think. It's the individuals that cause the problems. And that's why on the the, the list of suspects to watch for all these agencies today, they have the individual, the loner marked down, the one who does a bit of thinking. He's the dangerous guy. They don't want thinkers. With large groups of people, they're very predictable. And for a totalitarian system coming up, what they depend upon is predictability, complete 100%. Predictability. And that is why all the data on your computer and your fax machine and on your telephone and so on is getting fed through central banks, central systems, through the NSA for monitoring. And it has been, by the way, since 1995, quite openly. That's when they passed the law that every phone, computer, fax machine, and anything conveying information. Had to have a chip in it which is accessible by the NSA or any government official at any time they wanted to. I check in the Toronto Sun, you'll find that an article printed in 1995 about that very thing. They, they mentioned the law and who passed it and all the rest of it. So we're just monitored. Now people put everything about themselves up on the computer. It's not just their banking, they buy everything over the computer. It's just, well, it's so easy, isn't it? So they're selling everything out for convenience sake, and that's exactly what the elite planned them to do. You can always count on the vast majority of people to do what the elite want them to do, all for convenience and no privacy. You think about the wars that were caused and forced in the past when people really rebelled and had enough and it was because they had no privacy in times gone by. The military could walk into your door any time of the day or night, in the old redcoat days that happened in Britain and outside of Britain, and you had no say in the matter. They could put troops in your house and bed them there for a week if need be, and you had no say in the matter. They could take whatever they wanted from your home, and you had no say in the matter. And today people take everything for granted, Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. And so they're quite happy to give it all away because they've never had so much credit to their name, you see. They've never had so much plastic that they can wave around and get all these cheap old goodies from China, which lasts about two weeks. At least they gave them a the bit of fun for two weeks, and that's all they're after is fun. They said they would create an egocentronic society as they went through these changes, these big shifts, it. It's all around you. I'll be back after these following messages.
5: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
2: where we are today, where we're going, and I haven't got into the population reduction and all that, although it's, it is actually underway, has been for some time. That's why most people in the West now are 75% sterile, and the biggest booming industry is, or happens to be within the fertility clinics area. Now, I think we have a caller from British Columbia. I think it's Andrew. Andrew, are you there? Are you there? Hello? Yeah. Hi.
3: Yeah, my question is um, you mentioned the other day, I think, uh, the first thing we have to do is stop them spraying us.
2: Yeah.
3: Right. So stop the chemtrails. So
2: how? We've got to start uh, writing the military. I don't know if you know that um, there's a politician from Sudbury, Ontario, uh-huh. um, a federal MP. Uh, she went... To parliament and, and brought it up on the floor there about the spraying uh, Don Scott had uh, talked to her about it and she did bring it up and the Minister for Defence said that they could not discuss this and would not discuss this under any circumstances even to the politicians present because it, was a, a, it came under national security policy uh, so that's very, that's very alarming when you realize that, that you can't even discuss this in your own Parliament building um, and they won't answer to your own politicians. This is above politics, you understand. The military is in charge of this. And what you should do what I did, I got in touch with the Air Force Canada and I think you, on the Internet, and they asked who you are and all that, as if they didn't know already as soon as you type in. And uh, they put me through, and they asked me what I wanted to know. I, I said, I want to know about the aerial spraying. Who is doing it? Why are you doing it? And now they didn't deny it was being done. What they got back to me and said, all they could tell me was that they, the Air Force of Canada, wasn't responsible for it. So what you find out, you see different countries. We're spraying some of the U.S. Some of the U.S. are spraying Canada. There's foreign aircraft over here, too. It comes under the Open Sky Treaty, not the commercial one, but the military one. There's two of them. Canada signed it. And um, this is a global effort that's underway on an incredible scale, because I get photographs from Australia, New Zealand, from all over the world, and Britain too. And everyone's getting sprayed outside of China and parts of Africa. Uh, Switzerland, um, China, and one other country, I believe, uh, did not sign the Open Skies Treaty, and they're the only ones not getting sprayed. So you've got to you, you go straight to the Air Force and just bombard them with emails and tell them, hey, we know this is going on, it's affecting our health, and we demand this stop right now, because if this continues, I've watched the people's intellect drop like a stone over the last 10 years. I, I've noticed uh, their interest in their surroundings and other things which would be of importance to them has gone, and so it's affecting their ability for self-preservation which is one of the strategies that was mentioned in this particular type of warfare uh, when they dreamed it up back in the 1950s. Uh, So we've got to let them know that we know and demand that it stop, because until it happens, um, we're not going to have a a, a conscious public to complain about anything. And we've got to demand that this be spoken about openly in in the federal parliament as well.
3: So just Send emails to the Canadian Air Force.
2: You got to do it uh, because these are the guys involved with it. They're the liaison between all the other air forces that are participating in this. They know what's going on. Uh, there have been pilots out British Columbia way. In fact, there was five of them uh, that, that stopped spraying because they said it was affecting their own families, and they were all put on the carpet for it. Oh
3: yeah.
2: So you they know, know what they're doing. They know what the effects are on the public. And if you ask any pharmacist, the biggest problem over the last few years has been bronchial problems, uh, a massive increase. We're getting people now diagnosed in their 40s and 50s with asthma for the first time in history.
3: COPD.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we've got, a, we've got a demand that this stop because this is affecting us. as many different uh, effects on our bodies, uh, even aluminum oxide, which is present, and I've had it tested. It does contain it. It's a high parts per million, way over any safety level. Uh, That alone builds up in the brain. That alone will cause Alzheimer's. They know that. They've known that since the 1970s. That was published in the British Lancet back then, 1973. And you'll find that that all the other metals that are put in the spray, never mind the chemical stuff, uh, is affecting us badly, and we cannot allow it to happen. Uh, This will start increasing the death rate if it isn't already and uh, why should we live in misery and sickness uh, for this global agenda to take place? Is to tranquilize us, keep us all unhealthy. When your health is down, you don't care about what's happening in the world. You're yeah. too miserable, and you're out of action. That's what they want.
3: I think I heard something like, if you're going to vote for a candidate, a politician, you ask them to sign a, an affidavit whatever that is, that they will um, stop the, or try to stop
2: the the spraying, the chemtrails. Well, if you can get a politician to to be honest about anything, good luck to you. It'll be the first time, because politicians are generally of a psychopathic nature, and they're born liars. That's why they go for these positions. And uh, that's the, the sad fact, and the truth of it, there's nothing respectable about these people. never has been in history. Uh, Their job is to lie to the public. I know how they start their careers off. They join committees and boards for volunteer things. Uh, They they get coffee, and eventually they get out with the chairman of the board on the golf course who susses them out and says, yep, you've got the right traits to get up there. Just do what you're told and shut up. That's how you get up the ladder in politics. uh, It's keeping your nose clean and knowing what questions not to ask your superior Right and lying to the public. I'm sorry, but that's the truth of it. Okay. Uh, there is no such thing as democracy. It's a sham. I've met some of these politicians. I've seen them. I've seen how two-faced they are. And uh, they'll sell anybody out for their own career.
3: Okay. But even if... Okay, but then... Um, sending an email to the... To Canadian, the military.
2: Tra- yeah, to the military. The Canadian yeah. Air Forces. That's yep. going to work? Or uh, help work? Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing. It's better than doing nothing... And I'll tell you one other thing, too. Most people wouldn't have the guts to do what I did. Because most people are cowards. They don't want their names to be known by the guys at the top. Oh, okay. So those with guts in some sense left, you have nothing to lose. Do it. Okay. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Don't wait for some group to spring up speaking on your behalf because it won't, it won't go where you want it to go. It will turn off in some other direction. This is when you have to start doing things yourself. And if your life counts and the lives of others around you count and you love people, then you stand up and you do it. Okay. And you tell them you know and you demand that they stop doing this. Right. That's what we have to do.
3: But what about um, politicians at the local level? Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs>
2: It's the same thing. Uh, They all start, as I say, on the same boards, committees, volunteer things. They don't care a darn about the the, the, the voluntary things involved, and the money never gets to the place it's supposed to get anyway. They sit and stuff their faces with coffee and and, uh, cakes at these meetings and uh, and learn the ropes of uh, the Masonic system. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, local politicians just want to be good, keep their nose clean, and get into higher politics on the federal level. It's a, it's a stepping stone for them. Uh, this is a career thing for them. They're not there to help the people. Okay. And unfortunately, that's what it's attracted to politics. You see, it's a psychopathic type. Right. Yeah.
3: Okay. So anyway, I want to make this really clear, because this this spring, I want to do something about it. Contact the Canadian Air Force. Yeah. They have a website. Yeah. And I can actually complain to them.
2: Yeah. And what will that do? Uh, the, the more emails that come in, the, the, the harder it is for them to pretend that, 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 they can, that no one knows. We're telling them that we know. Okay. And that's when they have to scurry around and have their little meetings and then come up with some press releases event down the road. They have to eventually do that. Okay. And, and remember, those press releases will be carefully managed by the professional media to warp it off into something insignificant regardless that's how you start motivating them to be responsible to you okay yeah. and their website is do you have it offhand? hand the Canadian Department of Defense in Ottawa okay yeah. great thank you okay thanks for calling now we also have uh, Sean in Connecticut there
5: hello hello this is Sean in Connecticut how are you pretty good Uh, Just to piggyback on uh, what was just spoken about, uh, in the United States, under U.S. Code, which you could look up at Cornell Law School, you have Title 15, which is Commerce, Chapter 9A, and Section 330, which is an interesting number, we have weather modification as a law, which is not mentioned on any websites, and I use that when I'm uh, introducing people to the fact that they are spraying, and it's a fact because there is a law not to mention the international laws and other things, Mm -hmm. and the little things blinking in the sky, which are clearly a DARPA grid. And I think the main goal is with this is with the EM. Uh, You touch on it, and nobody else seems to, about our memory systems. And using the symbols, this is really a full-scale onslaught on the public. It is. is. Also, in that code too, I think you'll find
2: there was an appendage put in there because about four years ago they passed another law, to allow themselves, the government of the U.S. to use chemical spraying on the public without consent of the public. Yeah, and it's it's
5: a really good thing I that I use, and I've been on local cable programs. People have called me to come speak about it and things, and you know, and all the subliminal programming. So their 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 uh, government programming, so to, so to speak, goes off, and and they 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 just go into total denial that. Uh, Anybody would possibly be doing this to them, yep. and then I mentioned the uh, EM frequencies. Do You hear a, a, a cricket type sound in your in your head, and you know. And then I try to explain to them they're trying to mess with your sleeping patterns, so mm-hmm. you know, which screws with your memory systems. And really, this, this is a, a total. It's really a mind control type thing on, on, a, on a very high level, and you know, you're it probably one of few, few people that touches it. In 2001. And, in 2002, they, they set up. They started the
2: harp going 24 hours a day, and those with shortwave radio and ham radio can pick it up. I've got all the frequencies listed here, where you can actually pick up the harp. They alternate it to different parts of, of, the, of, the, of the, the broadband, and different parts
5: of the day. But it's 24 hours a day now, non-stop. Yeah, and, and, it's and the a powerful signal on the shortwave. I think you're probably the only person I've heard on the internet that can really iterate the fact that. One of the more important things of what we are is memory. Yes. And they use the symbols, and there was recently a good article uh, published in nature.com by Harvard, Uh and this really gets into the whole thing with the linguistics, and we're actually, languages are a subroutine of a primary routine, and all languages on the planet have this, and this has been running. Roman alphabet is essentially an ISO of symbols. That's right. And, uh, you know, this this is a hard thing to explain to people. I mean, it's hard enough getting the uh, chemtrail thing going, but just to piggyback on what was said from the Canadian caller, and uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, and, and also, yeah, they call it psycholinguistics, and, and the psycholinguistics is
2: taught in certain segments, high segments of the CIA and the psyops operations at the Pentagon and, and the, the, the British Department of Defense as well. So, yeah, it it truly works because we work like computers. We have a language and a logic, and the programmer, the guys at the top, the media guys, whoever's giving you a set sequence, can formulate the words in such a way that using your logic and understanding your logic, you will come to a predestined conclusion, and that's what they want. We're very predictable in this way, and psycholinguistics is a tremendous field which is kept quiet from the general public, but it's used... Even by the big marketing advertising organizations, as well, a lot of their guys uh, come and fight work for for some of these covert agencies at the top. Bertrand Russell said in the 1950s they would bring on board in, their, on, in their, um, the secret Service in mi six they'd bring on board uh, the, the top marketing agencies in the world to help them basically put uh, psycholinguistic uh, terminology through to the public for for programming purposes, and it works very well.
5: Oh, yeah, it's unbelievably powerful.
2: Uh-huh. And Lenin talked about it too. Uh, he said that, that by carefully selecting words and putting them together into slogans, they're called routines, and you use them for special groups, special uh, interest groups, uh, and get them to parrot these slogans, they will think in, in subroutines. They have routines and subroutines they go through with and they parrot little phrases and slogans they've heard. And when you have been an argument with them, that's all they can give you back are these slogans. They have nothing to say themselves, and they're unable to think for themselves.
5: Yeah. All right. Do you think the, uh, how, how far back do you think the symbols that are used to create uh, <clears throat> letters and, and numbers for language really started? I'm sure it was back all
2: the way to to the beginnings of what we call, or we're given a civilization, which they say is Sumer, but now they go into the the Harappian civilization that existed prior to Sumer. They've dug all that up now and found that that these characters uh, had their languages too. I mean, Sumer came on the scene around 5000 BC and a fully fledged system with weights and measures, even for gold, weighing out gold and Troy is known and, and all the terminology we have today including the weighing system and the time system of 12 hours and 24 hours came from Sumer. We realized nothing is this is all old stuff everything we take for granted today is old stuff so they had the weighing and the measuring they had the time system worked out perfectly and uh, the, 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 the days of the year and all the rest of it was all done back in the days of Sumer. And they, they perfectly well understood um, what they called the chants. The chants were, again, a subroutine within a religion which helped reinforce the initial indoctrination of the religion in certain symbols or personages or people. And so you'd power over and over, very much at the Catholic Church, Hail Mary, Full of Grace. It's the same thing. It's a reinforcement top of the dogma that's been instilled in an early, from an early age. Okay, thanks. It's a pleasure. And I think we have Ken in Massachusetts. Are you there, Ken?
6: Oh, hello, hey. Alan. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I got you there. Yep, I'm here. Ah, terrific. Um, I just I wanted to say that I uh, I've really been appreciating your show a great deal. A wonderful presentation, uh, very enlightening. Um, uh, I wanted to tell you that my uh, observations of uh, chemtrails in the area have. Uh, jibed over time with yours. Uh. Can you you hold over, Ken, and I'll talk to you on the other
2: side of the break? Absolutely. Okay, back in a few minutes.
1: Lost. everybody knows the fight was fixed the poor stay poor the rich get rich that's how it goes
2: everybody knows hi alan watt back with cutting through the matrix and showing into the latter part we're talking to ken from massachusetts can you go ahead ken
6: Hello, Ken. There's been a massive uh, appears to be a massive uh, uh, amount of spraying going on today, and it's uh, this is uh, the second day this summer that it was like so pronounced that I I really had to take notice. Um, I'd call it like a chem sky because there was I could see there was like a lower altitude layer of cumulus clouds, yeah, and then um, I could see like a grid pattern forming, and I, I would watch, and I'd see a plane flying in an arc pattern, yeah. and I could see where a previous pattern, a plane had flown in a similar arc pattern some time before, and it would dissipate and i was seeing trails that were uh expanding to the point where it was like if you if you were to take your hand and put it at arm's length it would dissipate to form a trail yep. that was you know the equivalent of like a dozen moons in in its breadth
2: that's right
6: and just like just it, the prediction for the day the weather prediction was uh for clear skies uh-huh and it was just you know this this sheath Mm-hmm. Up above. Um, and uh, uh, the perspective that I have is like I've had, um, I've been, uh, an am- uh, uh, since a child, I've been fascinated with the sky, uh, amateur astronomer. Yeah. And, I, know, so, and, and
2: I know it, and the night now it's getting spoiled because you just can't see so clearly.
6: Exactly. And I exactly. saw it last
2: winter, and it was so disappointing. Every night you had this haze over you from the daily spraying. And again, I've had lots of amateur astronomers. I do that too. Mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. you really miss the night skies this this mush that's there but um uh, but the, the, the stepping up the spring now, and also it's interesting that that uh, NASA has claimed that one effect of the supposed global warming will be a decrease in daylight coming through to the earth. now isn't that just amazing
6: <laughs> it's It's very very peculiar um yeah. Uh, when I, when I was, uh, I, I, and I remember growing up in, uh, in the 80s, I would, uh, just for fun, I would take a six inch, uh, six inch reflector astronomical telescope in the backyard during yeah. the day. And I would like to, I would uh, point it at a contrail and, uh, follow the contrail, like a normal style contrail, to the plane and, you know, look at the plane at, you know, 130 times magnification, yep. and I could identify which airline was uh, going across the skies and whatnot. Yep. And one thing that I recall was, uh, you know, watching the contrails, I mean, like, you know, it, depending on weather conditions, sometimes they'll persist for a little bit, yeah. But, you know, it would be it would be kind of extraordinary, even. Like occasionally you'd see a contrail that would last, say, two well, thirds the three the, the thing is, we don't
2: have to keep convincing ourselves. You see, those of us who've seen it, know it, we remember, and we know what's being done. Now the problem is what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so thanks for calling in, and we'll, we'll talk again. So for Hamish and myself up in Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God, or your God's, go with you.